0: This is a podcast about making work work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. My name is Shelley Johnson. It's time to get to work. Today on the show we are joined by Shane Hatton. We're doing another listener Q&A and if you don't know Shane you need to. Shane is a bloody legend and he also is a leadership and culture expert. He has some amazing books Let's Talk Culture, Get on it. Today's episode we're going to cover off some of your questions that you submitted through the Facebook community. There's some bangers in there today about defining your values, identifying red flags in your current job and being new to management. Let's get into it. Shane, welcome back.
1: It's almost like I didn't leave.
0: (laughs) It almost is, except you're in London and I'm in Australia and it's very late where I am.
1: And very early here. So we picked a time where we're both at our best. (laughs)
0: No, I said, no, 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 let's be clear. I said I'm at my best from 10 till 2 in the middle of the day and that is it. <laughs> it's a small window and if you're outside that window, things get weird. And so this is that time of the evening where I get a bit silly, but let's go with it. Could I'm, be weird. I'm all for
1: it. No, this is where we get, to see, get, we get to see a side of you, which we've all been waiting to see. This is where you <laughs> drop the walls and you overshare and you get real deep. And, and I'm super keen for
0: that. I thought I was already an oversharer. So I'm kind of like, whoa, what is going to happen? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's just get straight in. Hey, I, I, have, I have a question from Alan. And he sent this through via the Facebook community and he said, how do you overcome or deal with the challenges of being in a new workplace, being younger than everyone else and being in a middle management leadership position? Alan, this is a banger of a question and thank you because this is how we want to start this podcast. This idea, Shane, of being younger and being in a management position is quite a challenge for, for a lot of people when they first start in leadership. What's your take on it? Because I really want to know because I've got, I mean, maybe I'm oversimplifying it. So I'd love to know your perspective on this idea of being younger and being in leadership.
1: Let me tell you that there is an invisible line and nobody knows where it is or at what point in your life. And it's the invisible line (laughs) of where you go, you're too young to now you're too old. There is never a moment in your life where you're like, you are the appropriate age for your position or your title. It's so frustrating. I remember years ago, did you ever do that exercise? Uh, Maybe, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, maybe some people know it, but you have to sit down and write your autobiography and you have to do the front cover, the table of contents, the book title and the bibliography or whatever the kind of thing is on the back of the blurb on the back of the book. Did you ever do that? No. Oh, I don't don't know what kind of workshops I was going to as a kid. (laughs) It was in school. But the idea was to kind of get you to visualize that, you know, you're on your deathbed. What kind of life do you want to have lived? And I remember I would have been maybe 17, 16 at the time. And the book title that I chose was Too Young, Too Old. That was the title of my book. Because for most of my life up until that point, my long, illustrious 16 years, everyone had always kept saying to me, are you too young for that? You can, you can do that when you're older, you're too young for that, you're too young for that. And then people that I would talk to who were, you know, parents or grandparents, they would always be going, oh, I'm too old for that. I'm too old for that. And this idea of like, I always wanted to challenge this stereotype that you're too young or you're too old, um, but just to kind of pursue after those things. And so, Alan, I think it's a really good question. I'm going to ask you a question that someone asked me, which I think is a really beautiful question. And that is, what if age is your advantage? What if age is your advantage? Most of the time we look at going, hey, I'm too young for this or I'm really young in, into this role and people maybe see me a little bit differently. But what if age is actually your advantage? What if you reframed this scenario? Um, and that came because I was at a workshop once and a, and a good friend of mine, um, Colfink, was sitting across the table from me and we were chatting about all this kind of stuff. And I said, I kind of expressed a similar sentiment to you that I was, I often feel too young for certain things. And he just scribbled on a piece of paper, slid it over the table to me as the workshop went on and I opened it and it had that question, what if age is your advantage? And what I'm learning more and more is that age can be a significant advantage in, in leadership roles for people.
0: That is so amazing. Ask that question of yourself. What if age is your advantage? Mm. And I'd always wonder like, being able to take that step further and starting to be able to say, age is my advantage in these ways and yes. list out the ways. So take it to that next level of going, okay, well, what if? And if so, what are the advantages that I bring? One of the things that you have when you're younger and you step into leadership is that you don't have the curse of knowledge. Yeah. So as you get more technically skilled in a certain area, you get the curse of knowledge and you assume people know what you know. And that can come with some challenges. It can, can come with ego problems. It can come with making decisions based on assumptions rather than seeking out all the facts. So I think coming in with like that fresh eyes, coming in with knowing what you don't know or being open with what you don't know can be such an advantage on a team. So maybe it's that thing of, okay, well, ask that question and then start to list out what ways might that be an advantage for you.
1: Yes, I'm so glad you said that. That was literally what popped into my head for this, which is if age was your advantage, what advantage would it give you? And actually sit with a pen and paper and go, what are what are the things that I bring to a team that someone of my age couldn't bring? And 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 maybe it's language, maybe it's energy, maybe it's um, you know, awareness, maybe it's the the lack of ego or you know, what are those things? And leaning into the things that you bring into your role as opposed to trying to become somebody that you're not. Um, one of the things that you know, I, I was thinking through as you were just chatting, which is don't try to act older. I think one of the things that often tells a person's age more than anything else is that they try to act an age that they're not. So you, you go into it and you, you're trying to have conversations. I, I mean, it's good examples. I always, you know, uh, was at conferences and you'd hear someone who's, you know, maybe they're fresh out of uni and they get up there and they go, oh, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid or when I was, and they kind of almost try to use phrases that a 40 or 50 year old would say. And everyone laughs in the room. Cause they're like, that was literally like three years ago. You're a kid. Like it's fine. You are a kid <laughs> You are a kid. You're still a kid and it's okay. Um, and so I would say, don't try to act older, but also don't give people a reason to focus on your age. Um, Because there are some things that you can do that bring focus on and attention to your age. And it it might be something as simple as like checking your language and how you show up into a room and making your language more accessible to the people that you're interacting with and engaging with. If If you rock into a room and every second word is like, 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 like it it definitely brings much more of a focus to your age. Um, and so being aware of what you do when you're nervous in your language, the words that you use that people may not understand. The difference is that when you're older, you end up using jargon and you reveal <laughs> your age just as much as when you're young. So this is the, this is the whole dilemma, right? So it's all of a sudden too young, now all of a sudden too old. So I'd say don't try to act like somebody that you're not. Be who you are. But don't just give people more and more reasons to kind of focus on on your age. Um, And I reckon one of the simplest ways to do that is just get really good at your job. (laughs) I know when you're in those early stages of your career, the advantage that you have is you're a great learner. Show up, learn, get really good at your job and give people a reason to go, geez, they seem young, but they're very good at what they do. I don't know if if that's been, you know, if that's helpful or not, but.
0: I think that is so helpful. And I'm just thinking about the difference as you're describing some of these behaviours. There's, to me, there's a really big difference between maturity and age. You can have someone who is mature and they're fresh out of uni. They're 21 years old and they have this maturity and depth to the way that they show up. So I think it's about how do you show up with that maturity? And there's some things that mature people do. Age is, to me, unrelated to that. Mature people ask good questions. They're yeah. curious about other people. Mature people admit what they don't know. Mature people don't blame shift. They own their mistakes. Mature people are humble in most cases. They don't have these ego problems. Mature people are aware of their strengths and weaknesses. So start looking and going, okay, age is my advantage. Write down the ways that it's your advantage and then go, and how am I going to show up with maturity regardless of my years since I've been born? (laughs)
1: You <laughs> also known as age. <laughs> How do I? <laughs> yeah, That's good. I like that. See maturity. Maturity. <laughs> um, you know what's so good about that show? Which I, I, the last thing I would say on this, which is that um, you have to sometimes also beware of reading too much into the situation. Um, I remember I gave a keynote and you and I have talked about this before. And, you know, I'm, I'm 36 and I, I delivered a keynote and the MC, the first thing he asked me once I finished my keynote is he looked at me and goes, how old are you? And I could have immediately in that moment felt triggered, felt reactive going like, how dare you ask me that in front of the room? But what he was actually asking is he said, as he went to kind of follow on, he said, there's something about what you deliver, which is fresh and energetic. And he wanted to know where I learned this from because he was like, you've got some like real maturity and wisdom, but I, you seem really young for that age. So it was his surprise because it was challenging some of his preconceived ideas. That if I'd responded defensively and tried to justify my age, then I could have reacted rather than responded. And it would have just made me look younger than I already was. But being able to sit there and go, hey, so I'm 36 and this is where I've learned and this is what I've been doing. and This is the energy I bring, which is what you're touching on, which is um, maturity, not age.
0: Uh, this is so good. And you're right. Sometimes people aren't thinking about it at all. And we just think that yeah. they are. I love that about not getting defensive and that potentially people are not thinking about it to the extent that we are, sometimes we get in our heads about this stuff. There's a follow on or sort of follow on question from Maddie. And she said, I'm new to management and I feel like my team don't respect me. How can I increase the respect and trust without having to point blank say, you don't respect me?
1: Great question. I mean, Maddie, let me, let me answer this question very simply. Um, I don't know.
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs)
1: It depends. It depends. Look, I know it's, it's, it's such a funny response, but, um, the, the challenge I think in this question is that there's more context that we don't have. And so we need to answer it without the context. So it's going to feel a bit more abstract than specific for you. Um, and I think, Shell, what you said is the perfect starting point to this is you have to define what does respect and disrespect look like for me? And how does that show up in observable behaviours? And rather than challenging the respect, challenge the behaviour um, mm. and, and get really clear on the behaviours that are acceptable and unacceptable behaviours because that's ultimately what is going to shape your culture and what your cultural norms are. Um, the other side to this, this coin I think as well, which, which is important to, to, to think through, is that what if they don't respect you? Like let's just be really honest, maybe they don't. And so how do you respond when your team doesn't respect you? And how do you not take that personally personally? And how do you recognize that sometimes respect takes time to build like your credibility does? Um, If you're a new leader, again, we don't have the context for you, Maddie, so we don't know. Maybe you've just joined the team. Maybe you're a relatively new leader to the team and you haven't built that, um, almost that credibility over time that that the team require. Maybe they've had really bad experiences in the past with leaders that have been Mm. quite difficult to work with or been quite, you know... um, horrible bosses and horrible managers. And so they're really tentative with how quickly they give respect or trust to someone. Um, so there's so many things that we, we don't know the answer to and the context, the context that would actually add to that. So I would say respect like credibility is consistency and behavior over time. So the way you build respect, the way you build trust, the way you build credibility is to define the behaviors that you See, are important as important in building that and demonstrate and lead those behaviors over time and recognize that it's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen over time.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point about the consistency and defining them and then consistently showing up in that way. I think you can do that collectively and in your one on one. So I'd start in your one on one meetings, Maddie, by calling, like having those conversations of going, hey, what do you feel like you need from me as a manager? What do you feel like, or it could be even, what does great management look like to you? And start to understand what they're wanting and then go, hey, well, this is what I think great team behaviour looks like to me. And you start using the, creating some shared language around what you want on the team. And then when you start to see behaviour that sits outside of that, where you see the disrespectful behaviour that you're kind of talking about, you can then kind of call that stuff out and say, hey, like, remember how we had this conversation about this is the team we want to be part of. When I see you doing gossiping or having those kind of corridor conversations or disregarding my advice or whatever it is, I feel like that's outside of alignment about how we agreed we were going to behave. So you've got something to anchor to and you have some kind of like benchmark that you're working towards. But without having done that kind of pre-work, it can be hard and it can feel like this weird kind of, oh, how do I, how do I even talk about this? So that is to me really important of of building this shared language. I know Shane, you talk heaps about this in your book, Let's Talk Culture. How do you clarify the expectations on your team? Because this is such a important thing that there's often, I know Brene Brown talks about stealth expectations where there's these underlying expectations that we have, but we've just never communicated them to people. Yeah. So start there. Is there anything else that you feel like is important to add when it comes to these expectations?
1: Yeah. I mean, also recognizing that respect is interpretive. Um, and so what's respectful for you may not necessarily be as um, somewhat what someone else defines as respectful. So I think what you're touching on is getting really clear on the observable behaviors is a really important component of that. good example of this is I was working with a team and, and naturally they said, well, we want to build a culture of respect. I said, what does respect look like? And they said, well, I think for, you know, as a starting point, we turn our cameras on during meetings. And, um, everyone was like, yeah, turn the cameras on. Everyone had this big, big kind of, you know, uh, you know, angry moment against cameras. It. And, uh, and, and one lady <laughs> put her hand up and she said, oh, I'm actually, um, in a season of life where I'm kind of like breastfeeding my newborn. And so sometimes I'm in meetings and I'm breastfeeding and I don't want to turn my camera on while I'm doing that. And there was this kind of like uncomfortable silence in the room where everyone immediately had their assumptions challenged and they went, oh, okay, maybe it wasn't just about respect. Maybe respect is not just turning your camera on or off. Maybe there's much more deeper levels to respect. So again, so being able to define what respect looks like by explaining our expectations and then getting really clear and observable behaviours so that when we step outside those guidelines, we actually can bring them back on on track again.
0: Yeah, it's great. I love that around. You'd have to bring this stuff to the surface because if you don't, it's there, but it's just all underlying and it causes this conflict and tension and all this weird stuff that happens on teams so we need to make sure all the stuff that's there all those expectations differences of opinion diversity of thought get that up to the surface have conversations because that's when you get the gold because you realize oh we were just about to make a blanket rule and mandate everyone turn their cameras (laughs) on which would have made someone feel really isolated and we now know this and we're like okay cool yeah no worries that makes perfect sense
1: we can adjust our behaviors now around that Exactly. The, the one thing I would say as well is is that it could be helpful is also show your team what it looks like to demonstrate those behaviours with your leaders. Um, so one of the things is we often want to see behaviours modelled within our team, but they our team don't even know what it looks like. And so naturally, again, Maddie, you might be at the senior kind of position in your organisation, but my, my guess is that you're probably in the middle somewhere in a management role some, somewhere in the organisation. You've got a direct line manager is I would demonstrate to your team what it looks like to show respect to that manager um, so that they can see it in action in you uh, as well. So that would be my last kind of tip.
0: Yes. Love that. What a beautiful way to close out that particular question. Thank you, Maddie. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hit on a few questions about figuring out your values, identifying red flags in your current job and making your side hustle your main hustle. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job, you can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. All right, Daniel says, how do you figure out your values? I've read Sort Your Career Out, done some online quizzes, and I feel like I'm gaming the results. I've been focused on being a good partner and dad for a long time. I feel like I don't know who I am or what I want anymore. Big, big questions. Thanks for reading the book Sort Your Career Out. I love to hear it when people have done that. The value stuff is so important. I guess my initial thought when I read that question from Daniel was, Daniel, I reckon possibly you're overthinking it a little bit (laughs) because your values, and I, I mean, go with me on this, Daniel, but your values, I think it sounds like some of them have come out over the last little year in terms of your family. You've been focused on being a good partner and dad for a long time. I would be looking into that of going, where do you feel you get most of your energy from? What matters most deeply to you? And often the times where our values come to life is when they're challenged. So I tend to think that we see our values most acutely when things (laughs) go wrong. And so if you can kind of look back over the last little while and spot what where where were there moments of difficulty or challenge in my life and what value might have been tested in that time because for me one of my values is growth I think I love growing and I get really bored if I'm not growing so when I was in a role and working a job that I'd kind of taken a step back I was leading like a decent sized HR team and went back into more of like a um, generalist HR function and I wasn't growing at all. And I, I was so quickly bored and all of a sudden I started to get miserable. I was quite anxious. I really was not in a good headspace. And I realized when I went back, I'm like, oh, my value of growth is not being met and it's being challenged because I'm not getting that in the environment that I'm in. So that was what helped me to make a decision. But for, de- for you, Daniel, I'd want you to start looking at where are the points of like tension in your life or challenge and what value might sit there that's not being met? Or conversely, if you do the opposite, you can go, when have I felt my most fulfilled and what value would that point to that was being met? But Shane, that's my take. What's your take on this whole idea of values? I was
1: just sitting here and enjoying your take on it and thinking that's a really good take. <laughs> I just would like to kind of <laughs> amplify, I think, amplify what you're saying, which I think the first thing popped into my mind was what makes you angry? And and you touched on that mm. at, uh, kind of at the beginning, which is values really, you feel values when they're in conflict. And if you think about it, like, I think if we take a step back and ask ourselves the question, what's the purpose of our values? Like why why, why even have values uh, in the first place? And I think values exist to help us determine how we make decisions and how we make decisions Mm. that allow us to live in congruence with ourselves, which is how do I align my inner world and my outer world? And if you've ever made a decision that's not aligned with your values, you immediately feel that incongruence within yourself. And so the whole purpose of becoming more aware of our values is they allow us to make better and more informed decisions that help us to show up feeling like we're at our best every single day. And... um there's a couple of ways is, uh, I mean, you've probably already done it, Daniel, but I would say actually find a list of all of the values that, you know, there's heaps of values lists out there and go through the list and go, okay, if I was to boil this down to the the five non-negotiables for my life, what are those for me? Um, what, what, when I feel like they're challenged, what feels, what makes me angry when I don't have these present, which one of these makes me really angry or frustrated mm. or, or makes me respond in a way that's not helpful or productive. And the last thing I would say is, and I talk about this a little bit from a cultural perspective in let's talk culture, but you can actually do this as an individual, which is you can sit down and and grab a piece of paper and write down all of your expectations of yourself, other people and the world. So what are the big expectations that you hold of yourself? Well, it's maybe I expect that I should you know, be kind or considerate or empathetic, or I should be a good listener. I should be, you know, what do you expect of other people? Well, other people should come to me with problems if they've got issues with me or they should, you know, whatever those kind of expectations are. What are your expectations of the world? What What kind of place should the world be in general? And I would challenge you to write as many of them down on a piece of paper as you can. And what you can then do is take a step back and look at the piece of paper and go, what do all these expectations have in common? And you'll start to find that values emerge from a set of expectations mm. that you hold of yourself, others in the world. And so you might go, oh my gosh, all of these expectations are about the way that humans engage with one another. And what I value is, is kindness or what I value is respect or what I value is empathy or optimism or whatever those kinds of themes that emerge are. You'll find them as you start to see the connections between your expectations.
0: It's really interesting, this whole thing of values. I'm so glad you spoke about the purpose because they are really important. Like anytime I've made a great decision in my career, it's because I've made them in alignment with my values. And anytime I've made a bad one, it's because I've forgotten them. And I've made like a rash decision. Like, oh, well, I should have known that because I know that I need growth in order to feel fulfilled. But I'm actually wondering, Daniel, as I read your question again, around, I feel like I don't know who I am or what I want anymore. I think you're in a values conflict right now. And I think you need to ask yourself, what is missing for me right now that I had previously? So do a bit of like historical research on your own life and figure out what is it that's missing? Because I think you are, you're probably in that values conflict. And that's a good place for us to start to, and I want you to let me know on LinkedIn, DM me, and tell me what were your values because you have a time limit now and I'm going to give you two <laughs> weeks max to tell me because don't overthink it. It's, it's, it's meant to be fairly like straightforward, I think. All right, next question. This is a good one. How do I identify red flags in your current job and signs you've gotten too comfortable? <sighs>
1: Um, okay. Let me give you a few things that pop into my head about when you feel like you, have got signs you might've gotten too comfortable in your job. Um, number one, you've stopped learning. Um, and I think that has two components to it, which is one, you've stopped asking for feedback. So you're not learning by allowing others to challenge you and you've stopped seeking a challenge. Like you've stopped looking for those things that put you outside of your comfort zone in your job. You stopped saying, you know, putting your hand up for new opportunities or you stopped looking for professional development or yeah, I would say all grouped within that kind of idea that you've stopped learning. The second sign I think that comes to mind is that you've stopped challenging. You stopped pushing Mm. back on things. So, you know, you're in a meeting and someone says, Hey, you know, what do you think we should do? And you advocate for your idea and they go, I don't think it's a good idea. And you go, cool, whatever. I give up. What's the point in trying anyway? You've stopped challenging. You've stopped pushing the the boundaries or tr- looking for opportunities to make things better. Um, the other thing in your role when you stop challenging is you've stopped looking for ways to improve your role or to, to add value to the business, to the organization. You're just doing what is required of you. And I think when you're in that thriving role, you're always going, how do I make this better? How do I create more opportunity mm. for the business? Or how do I solve more problems or more complex problems? Um, so you've stopped learning, you've stopped challenging. And the third thing that comes to mind is that you've, you've stopped sharing stories with your friends. Um, it, it, which just seems like a strange one, but when you, you find when you're in a job that you love, when you show up on Friday night to drinks and they ask you about your week, you love sharing stories about work. Um, I, I don't know what you're like, Shell, but I, in my business, if people, when I catch up with friends, I always want to talk about my business. Um, it, it's not like I want to get conversation that gets me away from work because mm-hmm. work is so much, such, a, such a big component of my life and the thing that lights me up that I want to tell stories about what I've been doing for work, who I've been working with, what I've been experiencing. And so maybe it's not the most obvious kind of red flag, but I think it's a big, big, big one where people want to ask you about work and you're like, oh, don't ask me about work.
0: Yeah, that. That is, I wouldn't have thought about that. But now that you say it, like going out to dinner, I want to talk about my business. I want to talk about it's like my baby. I want to talk about it. Like I love it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think when you are in a, a job that's engaging and energising, you're excited by it, even though there's challenges and there's stuff that like is stressful. But I was thinking, Shane, about some of the other ideas of like what signs or little red flags I see when you're either getting comfortable or maybe red flags in your job in general, and I think there's a couple of things, you've already touched on a few of them, I reckon when you start to get that sense of apathy, just a low care factor, I think when we stop caring, and this is tricky because there's a tension, like sometimes we care too much and that can be unhealthy, but sometimes when we care too little that's a sign of like, We're completely apathetic and detached. And I don't think that's helpful either. So that's usually like a little red flag for me. Um, Mm. Defensiveness is a red flag when there's defensiveness to feedback, when there's defensiveness to owning mistakes or a lack of vulnerability. That's, again, like a big red flag for me. And the other one that I find is a red flag is silence, when people can't speak up, if you have a culture where people can't speak up or can't have difference of opinion and we don't, we're not allowed to disagree or there's taboo kind of subjects that we we're not allowed to speak about, like that stuff is really concerning to me uh, when it comes to culture, when it comes to your job situation. So I don't know, there'd be some of my like more subtle red flags. Do you have any others that you see in terms of Cultural health that are like those earlier warning signs.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I I, I want to know what the the kind of meaning behind comfort is. Like, how do you know when you've gotten too comfortable in your role? I think we've touched a little bit on maybe you're in the wrong role or in an unhealthy role. There's some elements of that woven into it. But comfortable is, I think, you know you've got too comfortable when you've everything just feels like it's easy and you don't have to think about things. You don't have to show up to work and consider. It's almost like you go into autopilot, you know, when you're driving somewhere Mm -hmm. and you get to the destination and you're like, I don't even remember how I got here. (laughs) If you're going home at the end of the day going, I don't even know what I worked on, what the significance of it was. I can just switch off my brain and work throughout the day and then just clock off it at the end of the day and not even really think about it. I reckon that's probably a sign that you might be too comfortable in your role. Um, And I think probably the big one that, that stands out for me is that you've just stopped putting yourself out there for opportunities um, so someone you know comes into the, into your team and says, "Hey, we've got an opportunity for someone to do a secondment role over in this other department, or you know, we've got a chance for someone to lead a project outside of the scope of your normal role." And you're like, eh, "Nah, it sounds like a lot of effort to me," and you're just happy to sit in autopilot. I reckon those might be some internal signs that you just you're just comfortable. And I think the other thing we need to just recognize is maybe that is some people's life. Maybe they're just okay being in that space where work. a value for them is just to show up and do what they need to do and then go home. Um, So yeah, I think we have to define what comfort looks like for us and what what we really want in a job. And this maybe comes back to the values conversation we had. Do we want to be in a role that challenges us? Do we want to be in a role where we we have opportunity to grow and learn or to progress? And if none of those things are important to you, then maybe you're not worried about being in a comfortable job, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think there is a difference between comfort and stability. So some people want stability and that sense of security, and that gives them a level of comfort. But the interesting thing with with stability and security, you need to change in order to keep having it. If we think about our phones and our ComBank app, if you've got ComBank on your phone, they continually upgrade the security systems. And that gives us a level of comfort Mm. and that gives us a level of stability. There is continual change happening in that space in recognition that that landscape is complicated as we know. And so for us in our jobs, if we want stability and security, we have to change and that's the paradox of it. We have to be comfortable with change and that gives us over time more more kind of sense of career security and some of those things that really matter. And so I think some, it's like this it can be a little bit of an illusion if we're comfortable, we're secure, but I don't think that's the case. Mm. I think if you're comfortable, and I heard someone say in a workshop I was running, Shane, a while back, they're like you could only cruise downhill and they were kind of talking about this idea that if you want to have some growth, if you want to – grow as a person if you want to see that upward growth in a business that you're part of there's going to be challenge and there's not going to be maybe that sense of cruisiness but if you want to have stability in your career if you want to have longevity if you want to have security you're going to have to embrace discomfort at times you're going to have to change and adapt with things that come along but the good thing with that is it gives you more opportunity down the track and it gives you more sense of stability in your career. And I've said stability about 80,000 times in that 30-second <laughs> rant. I don't know if any of that resonates with you though, Shane.
1: No, I love it. I think it's great. I think if you think about your organization as a train hurling down the track, you might go, it's more comfortable to just get off the train and sit on the platform, um, but your organization will keep moving on without you. And so you might have been more comfortable, but you'll eventually get left behind. I think that's probably a good sign that maybe you've gotten too comfortable is if you're the anchor in your team. Like, if you're the person who's constantly going, oh, it's too hard, if everyone's kind of slowing down to kind of come back to your level of things, I reckon those are some some warning signs. If, you, if you're if you being told that you're a bit of the anchor in the group, uh, then that I would be, I'd have some concerns about that.
0: Yes, that is good. And it's a good, it's a really good question. I think it's something that we all need to ask from time to time. Am I getting too comfortable? Do I need to change things up? Do I need to challenge myself more? So Sarah, thank you for asking that question. Last question, Mitch, balancing career and side hustle and moving the side hustle from side hustle to full-time career. <laughs> Love this question. And this is, the, this is the thing that happens for so many people who start a little project on the side and then they go, oh, at what point does this become my main game? Like, and there's a lot of like... Uh, I guess the fear of like failure, the fear of the unknown, all the things. But there's also this excitement that comes with it because you're like, oh, my gosh, am I going to take the leap and do the thing? So, Mitch, I'm right there with you. I had this moment. I mean, while we we were doing this podcast. We've been doing this podcast for four years. And I, I did it. this thing. I was working full time, studying, doing this podcast, and it was a wild, wild time. But the funny thing is we did, I was doing the podcast for so long before I started my business, but I would have seen this as my side hustle. I think you start to realize that the tipping point is when you start to get quite a lot of momentum and you're getting interest in this new thing that you're doing over here and you start to realize that, oh, hey, this could go somewhere or this could actually work. And so you've got to read the momentum. And I think it's really important to go with the momentum that you see in your life and in your job. So if you've got a lot of traction in one area, start to kind of look at that over an extended period of time. Like, I think you do need some kind of like time horizon. Like for me, that was like three years doing the podcast before I started to kind of do my own like consulting and actually earning money from stuff that we're doing. But I don't know, Shane, what's your take on the, when that right transition moment is? Because it's it's different for everyone. and It's it's a really hard thing for us to kind of say without knowing all the context. What's your thoughts?
1: <laughs> oh gosh, I, I need to be careful about how I say this because I, I feel like it's going to be a bit of a controversial and a challenging statement to hear, which I don't know how to exactly say this I'll say it clumsy first but bring say the
0: controversy bring, bring the controversy
1: it. let me bring the clumsy more than the controversy which is like don't use your employer to be a venture capitalist for your side hustle um, and <laughs> what i mean by that is i want to advocate for the employer yes <laughs> because i think when you're in when you're starting a yes. side hustle it's it's so much time energy and, and investment investment but what shifts it from a side hustle to a main gig is your willingness to accept the risk of it failing. And it's a risk decision and it's a runway decision, which is do I have enough runway to be able to give myself more time than I think it needs to get off the ground? So I would say if you're starting a business, you should have six months' worth of savings to get into that because you run the risk of potentially not having work for six months. Um, and so you need some kind of runway And the other thing is there's also the risk that this thing could go horribly wrong and there is a temptation to not want to go all in on it because there's the safety and security of a full-time salary. Mm. So I I think when you're looking to decide when do I shift between side hustle and main gig is that it's when it's pulling away from your ability to be really present in your existing role Um, and are you willing to take the risk and do you have the runway to support that?
0: That is so good. I am so glad you said that. I think it is really unreasonable. If you're like going hard on your side hustle and you're giving like a only 50% effort to your main gig and they're funding this thing, it's really unfair to your employer and yeah. that is such a – I'm so glad you said that. It's such a good call out. If you're going to do this, you have to do it really well. You need to do the transition because the thing that your employer is going to have in the back of their mind – is are they like I was talking to an employee the other day, and and they had like it was a really young apprentice, and the apprentice was working for them full time. They they're very um, early in their career, and then they would also bartend on Friday and Saturday night. And I was just thinking that person must be absolutely <laughs> exhausted all the time, yeah. like because they're working. So many hours. And I think if you're gonna do this thing, you have to be able to manage your energy and you have to still give the level of energy that your job needs and you have to do that really well. So that's just a non-negotiable, like that this baseline has to happen. Think the thing I love what you're saying of yep, you need your six months and the risk decision. Let's talk about that risk decision just to close out this whole episode. I love Daniel Pink's work on the power of regret. And for me, it's just been so helpful on the biggest regrets people have in their life aren't the things that they did do. It's the things they didn't do. Mm. So if you go and start your own business and you take your side hustle and you make it your main hustle, you're less likely to regret that than if you didn't do it at all. So I think understanding the risk and the relationship between risk and regret and going, you know what? What is the risk? Well, if I've done the work and I've got my emergency fund, I've got the six months runway of, of cash there, you know, I'm probably not gonna get to the end of my life and regret starting my own business, but I'm probably likely to get to the end of my life and think, I wish I started my own business. Yeah. So Mitch, couple of takeaways there, look after your employer because they're awesome and they're um, not your venture capitalist. And then make sure that you weigh up that risk and go, you know what? If you've got the emergency fund there. Go, go! I think take a risk. That you know, it's nine thirty at night, nine forty p.m., <laughs> and I'm you know a bit loose. Shelley's so.
1: just offering <laughs> up all those kinds of advice here. Mitch is Mitch is going to quit his job tomorrow and go all in on this. And <laughs> do you need to give a disclaimer? on and that, I take by no the way?
0: responsibility, Mitch.
1: <laughs> all care, no responsibility.
0: <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Mitch. Let us know how you go. Message me on LinkedIn. Hey. Shane, thanks so much for hanging out. You can find out more about Shane in the show notes. Everyone connect with him on LinkedIn. He's the best. He's one of my favourite people. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating and review and share it with someone who needs to hear it. Love you all and uh, good night (laughs) or good morning or good day, wherever you are. (laughs) What a great side-off.